Welcome to the Think Like a CFO podcast, where we dig into not only what it takes to start a business, but to keep your business thriving for years to come using my signature CFO money method framework. I'm your host, Melissa Houston, and I am a CPA and business financial coach. I have over 20 years of experience in business, and it is my passion to share my knowledge of business finance and personal finance with other women. You can also follow me with my column at Forbes.com or my column with Entrepreneur.com. Today's podcast episode is with Allie Kriegsman, and I met Allie when I interviewed her for a Forbes feature. As soon as we started talking, I began to see how much she cares about people and the team that she's established at Bulletin. She is a razor-sharp businesswoman with a caring side to her. I pre-ordered her book back in January, and I cannot wait to receive my copy. Ali Kriegsman is the co-founder and COO of Bulletin, a B2B wholesale marketplace where retailers go to discover, shop, and support the best brands on the planet. A recipient of Forbes 30 Under 30 and named one of Fast Company's most creative people in business, Ali has helped thousands of brands expand their distribution and sell in both offline and online stores all around the country. She is a salesperson, self-taught publicist, marketer, and growth strategist, and has experience scaling both bootstrapped and venture-backed businesses. Her first book, How to Build a Goddamn Empire, is the no BS book on entrepreneurship you've always needed. And it is now available for pre-order in both hardcover and audiobook formats. Start reading or listening on April 6th. Hey, Allie, welcome to the Think Like a CFO podcast. I am so happy to have you here today. Thanks, Melissa. I'm so excited to be here and excited to chat. Yeah, and a lot of chatting we're going to do today because not only are you an extremely successful entrepreneur with your company called Bulletin, but you're also a author with the book coming out soon. So I'm really excited to talk to you about both of them today. I'm so excited for the book and happy to chat all things Bulletin. And I hope whatever I share is helpful and insightful for those listening. Oh, I'm sure it will be. So if you want to just give us a little bit of background about Bulletin and what you do there and what you have done there, because you've built a goddamn empire. Thank you. (laughs) So Bulletin is a two-sided wholesale marketplace. We connect brands and retailers all around the US and Canada. Essentially, if retailers are looking for inventory for their stores, whether they're running a boutique, a fitness studio, a grocer, a spa, a wellness center, they can log on to Bulletin, discover and shop from a network of over 1,300 brands and stock up on inventory their customers will love. It's great for brands because they can, you know, increase their distribution with retailers without having to pay for super expensive trade shows or, you know, pay for expensive wholesale reps or showrooms. So we're all about democratizing access for our brand community and giving our retailers a really easy, seamless way to discover and shop inventory for their stores. Bulletin actually didn't start out as a technology company or a two-sided wholesale marketplace. We began as a monthly newsletter. My co-founder and our CEO, Alana, met at a previous company. We're very passionate about supporting and spotlighting small businesses. 
So we began a shoppable newsletter that people could, you know, subscribe to, to learn about the coolest emerging brands and shop their work. We eventually ended up launching a pop-up arm of the business so that you could actually meet these brands and shop their work in person, not just in the newsletter. And then we went from running our pop-ups to actually running stores. So we started building and launching our own retail stores in 2016 and did that for a few years. And we actually launched our wholesale marketplace at the end of 2019 to support kind of this holistic wholesale and retail business. And now we only run the marketplace. COVID was obviously a huge part of that, but we launched it. It took off and started scaling really quickly. So that's what all of our time and efforts are invested in growing right now. That is quite a story. And I'm curious for your book, was a lot of your book based on your success story with Bulletin? I would say it's actually based on my failure stories with Bulletin. (laughs) You know, I think that Alana and I, and I know this is something we want to get into, but we took on venture financing as two first time, you know, early stage female founders. We were one of only two female founded companies in our large batch of companies. We did this accelerator program called Y Combinator, and it was a great program. It was super educational and insightful, but to be totally honest, I feel like we ended up taking venture capital and then trying to use it to scale a business that didn't really make sense for venture capital. And so the book kind of chronicles like trying to find and build a scalable business, find product market fit and kind of match the company and the business model with the way that the company was financed from the beginning. So yeah, I would say there are definitely some success stories and success moments in there. But the book is really about kind of our candid mistakes, failures, bruises, because Every founder, you know, regardless of whether you're a female founder or not, you encounter those mistakes and those errors, and it doesn't make you any less, you know, successful. It doesn't make you any less capable or competent. That's a message I really wanted to get across through the book. I love that you're talking about that because so many people would sort of try to hide from their errors and mistakes, but they're really just all they are is learning opportunities. Exactly. I, I completely agree with you. And I was just on the phone with my business partner and our CEO, Alana, right before this. And, you know, I I told her, I was like, I feel like we had about a two and a half year period where we weren't optimizing for the right things. We weren't building the right things and we didn't know it. And, you know, now that we're many years out of that and running this technology business and scaling it and, and thinking differently, I don't regret having run a, you know, slightly complicated and ill-suited business model for a few years because I think it was definitely a learning experience and is part of why we're here today running a business that actually is scaling is growing and does make sense for you know the way that we finance the company. Absolutely, that's fantastic. So, okay, let's start with the book title because personally, I was sold on that and I pre-ordered like the day I heard about it. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> it's called How to Build a Goddamn Empire. I love it. There's there's a subtitle that I always forget, honestly. But I, you know, the title of the book is kind of deliberately in your face and also deliberately cheeky. I interview 30 other female founders and, and women business owners for the book. And they're running companies of completely different stages and sizes. I interview an Etsy seller who's built a massive and robust Etsy business. She's actually gone full-time with the business now as of this year. But when I interviewed her, she was a full-time teacher and running her Etsy jewelry store on the weekends. 
I also interview Kamala Harris's niece, Mina Harris, who is, you know, a rising political figure and, you know, really inspiring entrepreneur. And she was working full-time at Uber when I interviewed her and she was running her apparel business part-time. So the whole point of the book is to really say your empire is yours. It is real. It is legitimate. It is meaningful. It is incredible. No matter how big or small it is, no matter if you're doing it part-time or full-time. So I'm, I'm not necessarily telling someone like, how to build an empire. This is how you build like a $500 million business. You know, it's really more about the the grit, the resilience, the mental health and the support system that you need to build something from nothing. You know, and I love that you talk about how your side hustle, you should be proud of that. Like it's still, you know, it's your business and it should be taken seriously. And that's how businesses grow. They grow from, you know, basically nothing to you know, however far we take them. So I really love that you shine a light on that. Thank you. Yeah, it's so interesting. I mean, I was definitely a culprit of feeling like early stage with Bulletin. And I write about this in the book. I was I was very hesitant to call myself a founder or hesitant to use entrepreneur as an identifier. And people would ask me, what do you do? And I would literally like flub and trip over my words and be like, oh, I work for this retail company or, oh, you know, I, I'm in sales and I, I'm kind of working on this retail side project. And no opportunity came from that because no one even knew the name of the company. I didn't say it was Bulletin. I didn't really speak to, you know, how much effort and muscle and sweat and tears I was dedicating into this side hustle. And as soon as I did start owning it and being proud about it and really promoting it and channeling it, that's how we met our first investors. That's how we met the broker that connected us with the store owner that was trying to, you know, emergency lease his store to someone. So I really think the more vocal you are, the more proud you are, and the more just forthcoming you are with your business or your hustle or whatever you're working on, that's how opportunity opens up. Being shy about it and shrinking and being small about it is not really going to get you anywhere. And I love that you talk about that because, I mean, honestly, I had that issue at the beginning when I was building my business. It was like, you know, I was taught to be humble and, you know, not brag and, you know, just not talk about things that, you know, I was working on and succeeding with and stuff. And the minute I started talking about my business more, the more traction it started getting. Yep. Exactly. I don't know what the word is, but it's it's almost, I guess the word isn't counterintuitive, but when someone is being small and shrinky and quiet about their business, it's because they feel like it's not far along enough yet. Little do they know that it's only going to go further once they start talking about it. So it's this kind of weird order of operations thing that I think a lot of entrepreneurs get wrong. I think especially female entrepreneurs, to your point, were you know, we feel like we really need something to show for ourselves before we go out there and start talking about our businesses. We feel like we need evidence. We feel like we need a report card or a piece of press or someone saying this is legitimate. But those opportunities are only going to come once you, you know, lay the groundwork with even your immediate support network, you know, get your 15 closest friends to order a first piece of jewelry from your website before, you know, you stress about Refinery29 featuring your brand or not. You really need to build that customer base first. And and, you know, don't worry about those bigger pieces. Don't worry about those bigger moments of validation. Those come once you've done the work of just being vocal and proud about your business and letting people know about it on the ground floor. It's interesting you say that because the first question that comes to mind is, do you believe that there are any shortcuts to success? Okay. I think that your network is everything. To, to make that a bit personal, and this is something I write about in the book as well, 
my life started out very differently than how the middle of it went and then where it is right now. So I grew up in a very privileged environment. My parents ran their own business. It was feast or famine. Some years were really fruitful. Other years, you know, we were just scraping by. I grew up with a roof over my head, food on the table, you know, a very stable and privileged life. By the time I hit my teens, my dad had a kidney trans or his kidney failed. We were waiting for a transplant. He was on dialysis for a long time. We had to pay a ton of medical bills. By the time I went to college, my family was deep in debt. I had to take out, you know, a massive chunk of student loans. My parents divorced. That was a whole other round of financial crises and it pretty much bled my family dry and me, my mom and my brother had to rebuild. And the only reason I'm here today is because through all of that, I was able to keep and maintain a network of people that wanted me to succeed. So I think I had an easier time gluing my life back together because I went to a private school when my family had you know, the means to do that. I went to an Ivy League college because I enrolled in that school before the divorce decimated my family and we had the means to do that. The first job that I got out of college was with a woman 20 years my senior who I met at an acapella reunion at, on my college campus. So had I not had that network, I don't think I would be here today. I very much attribute my early kind of privileged upbringing and my mom very squarely focusing on putting me in the right communities, helping me build the right network so that if anything like this happened, I would know people who knew me and were invested in helping me climb out of that hole and you know pick myself up from the bootstraps and keep going. I think that people with those networks built in, people that do come from privilege, do have more of a shortcut to success. It's much harder for people that didn't go to those schools, that didn't have that network straight out the gate, that, you know, didn't have those communities to tap into to, you know, have similar opportunities as me. So I don't think that there's a thing that a person can do that, you know, helps them leapfrog over the necessary failures and bruises and bumps to success. But I do think a shortcut that many people experience and have working in their favor is that they know people that can help unlock opportunity for them. And then there are people who don't know those people and it's much harder for them to unlock opportunity. Yeah, it definitely is a lot harder to unlock opportunity, but it certainly isn't impossible. And that's one thing that I've learned starting with no network and building my network like crazy. I value my network so much. So yeah, I, I find there's gold in the network, absolutely, and creating partnerships with people and being around people that really want to see you succeed. But not only that, but you reciprocate and you want to see them succeed as well. But having that genuine feeling of wanting to see other people succeed is is fantastic too. Yeah, I mean, I definitely feel that way. i have a total pay it forward mentality. My mom always treated everyone, no matter that if they were the parking lot attendant at our temple growing up or, you know, the studio executive at Fox that she was pitching, she treated everyone with the same level of respect. And I think that that is so important because you actually never know who the key to your opportunity is. You never know who that unlocks. And you 
we shouldn't judge people out the gate or treat them any differently because they're in a position of status now. You know, someone who's not in a position of status or unlocking opportunity today might be in a completely different position two or three years from now. So I completely agree with you. I pay it forward because it feels good. It's something that, you know, gets me going. It's something that energizes me. But I think even for just utilitarian reasons, you know, treating everyone with respect and and trying to return the favor, it's it's always just a great way to build your network and get people rooting for you. Yeah, absolutely. So when you talk about, you were mentioning earlier, the book highlights a lot of failures. Can you give us some examples of what you would have considered failures in your business? Oh, definitely. Which one do I pick? I love the fact that you're so candid about that. I think if the women have to become more candid and and open about this stuff, I think we're held to an absolutely ridiculous standard. And I think the more that women can be vocal about their failures, their mistakes, their bruises, it becomes more acceptable for everyone. And we can kind of chip away at that pedestal that we're all put on. I would say a big failure was we we don't run this business anymore. We run a technology company. It's a two-sided wholesale marketplace, but we ran stores for about three years. When we opened our last store, which was called Bulletin Flagship, it's obviously not open anymore in service of the wholesale marketplace and focusing our efforts there. But when we you know, started planning for that store, we ended up getting a lease from a landlord for the Union Square location. And we got verbal commitment. So we hired an architect, we hired an interior designer, and we started planning. I started booking spots for the store because we ran a membership model where brands paid for access to space. And in exchange for that, they got a real-time sales dashboard, PR and marketing opportunities. They could do workshops and events in the space. So I started collecting down payments from brands. And out of the blue, out of nowhere, like a month and a half into planning and scoping out for this particular retail space, that square footage, that design, we get notice from the landlord that they have decided to take on a different tenant. And so we had signed the lease. They never countersigned. And that oh. happened. That, happen- that happens. That happened with other yeah. stores that we had signed for. That happened with my own apartment, right? Like you sign, they have your lease, and you as the tenant are not overthinking getting the countersigned copy back. So we literally thought everything was squared away and buttoned up. And as it turns out, they were actually back channeling and, and behind our back trying to find a more secure tenant that wasn't a startup and a tenant that could put more money down up front. And they found one. So mm-hmm. we literally had to scramble to find another location for the store very urgently, which we did. But that second location cost nearly twice as much. It wasn't in as good of a location. And we made that decision with essentially a gun to our head because we had already done all this design prep, we had already done like, you know, the the marketing prep and set a launch date and started collecting down payments from the brands. So I mean, that's a failure of judgment. It's a failure that happens a lot at a startup where you're just moving too fast, and you're not crossing your T's and dotting your I's. And it was definitely an example of Alana and I making a snap judgment call under duress rather than doing what was probably best for the business, which was, you know, letting our brands know what happened, being transparent about it, and giving ourselves more time and breathing room to find a alternate location that was actually in our budget. 
that still, you know, vibed well with our design plans. So that was a pretty big one, I would say. Yeah, and definitely unfortunate. Now, what would you say to listeners about the fact that, you know, these types of mistakes or failures or whatever you want to label them as, like, what kind of advice would you offer for people who are going through, sorry, similar situations? Yeah, there's a quote in my book that I love. It's from an entrepreneur, a poet, and an author herself. Her name is Jasmine Manns. And her quote in the book is, never take risks you can't bounce back from. I think for us at Bulletin, any risk we've taken where there was a window of opportunity for mistake or failure, it wasn't going to sink the business. It wasn't like we were taking all of the rest of our financing or money in the bank and making a massive bet that if it didn't pay off, we'd all be out of you know a paycheck and out of business very quickly. You need to take risks. You need to test. You need to run experiments within your business. You're going to spend money doing that, but build an actual budget, understand your burn rate, understand how much money you're making and set aside a budget for the risk or for the experiment or for the test and be ready for that money to disappear and not make any more. And if you can afford to do that calculation and the numbers work out, then you got a great experiment on your hands or this is a risk that you can definitely explore and potentially take. You know, if the risk or the potential mistake or the experiment could potentially send the business under, then I would definitely reassess and try to do something a bit more bite-sized that can still get you results or show you what you need to know without, you know, taking too large of a chunk out of your financial cushion as a company. I love that. Now, you know that the Think Like a CFO podcast really talks about entrepreneurs managing their business finances. Would you say that you're incredibly involved in the finances of Bulletin? So this is something that me and Alana have gotten much better at, candidly. It used to be that I would essentially have my eyes on money in. So I was the salesperson. I was the one you know, collecting the membership fees from brands. I was the one monitoring store sales and you know, our take-home commission on store sales. So I was the money in girl. And Alana was the money out girl in tandem with our CFO. And it definitely led to issues. It led to some big mistakes and, you know, massive problems that I won't go into here at this. <laughs> Respectfully, time. of course. Maybe in another five years, we'll talk <laughs> through some of those. But that is different now. I always keep tabs on what's everyone's salary? What was our burn rate this month? What are we bringing in? Everything is now interconnected and centralized. We have a very anal detail-oriented controller and accountant, and we've kind of staffed up on the financial resources that we need. And yeah, it it was definitely a very nonsensical way to structure things way back when. But again, we were first-time founders, moving really quickly, growing pretty quickly, and after you know a few of those big uh oh moments, that was when we kind of decided, okay, we both need eyes on everything, and it's not enough for us to split the difference. And I love that you're very involved in your finances now. And I always tell my clients, you don't need to do the bookkeeping, you don't need to be the accountant, but as the CEO of your business, you need to know what's going on financially in your business at all times. 
yes, a thousand percent. I cannot agree with that more. Yeah, absolutely. So if there's anything that you would want listeners to take away from this conversation today, or, you know, one, one last important piece of advice, what would that be? I think there is a really beautiful thing that happens once you start being proud and forthcoming and confident about your business and starting to get really vocal about it, whether it's a side hustle, a passion project, or something you're doing full-time in the shadows right now. And I think that switch is going from sheepish and almost embarrassed and thinking small to thinking big and thinking as big as humanly possible and having like a very massive ambitious vision for what you're building. And I guess the last thing I would want to leave with people is don't be afraid of taking that leap. Don't be afraid of thinking bigger. I never envisioned I would go from running retail stores to now running a two-sided wholesale marketplace, a technology company. I'm not a technical person that supports, you know, thousands and thousands of brands and small businesses, retailers in the US and Canada. And the only reason that I am in this position is because at some point, Alana and I decided to think bigger. And so my personal journey from being kind of sheepish and keeping bulletin in the shadows and feeling like I didn't have enough to show for myself yet, you know, I've transitioned from that to someone that wonders who will be in five years and how massive our business can be in five or six years. So that's just something I want to challenge women to do more. You know, your business can be as small as you want it to be. If it's a lifestyle business, if it's part-time, like your empire is in your hands. You don't need to copy someone else because they're raising venture capital. You don't need to copy someone else because they're quitting their full-time job to build something of their own full-time. But if you have that voice inside you, that's like, well, what if I did put all my time to this? What if I really committed to this? What if I really built like a massive 10-year vision plan for this? What would that look like? You That voice deserves attention and, and don't shut her up. <laughs> I love that. That's so strong and inspiring. Makes me want to go build my goddamn empire, which I am, but (laughs) (laughs) absolutely. I mean, I completely, I won't deny that. But speaking of how to build your goddamn empire, I am super excited because as I mentioned earlier, I pre-ordered the book and listeners can pre-order the book. I'm going to leave that in the link. And what's the book release date? Oh, it's April 6th. So we're a little over a month out. And Abrams is amazing. My hardcover publisher, they're publishing the physical book and you can buy the audiobook through Penguin Random House on April 6th as well. Well, I'm super excited for this and I know it's going to be a success. And as I mentioned to the listeners, I will leave that link in the show notes. And if there is a way to contact you, your website would be? It's my name. It's AllieKriegsman.com. Or you can reference it from the podcast title or, or details once you post this. And you can also go to bulletin.co, that's B-U-L-L-E-T-I-N dot C-O to check out my company. And if you want to follow me on Instagram, it's at Allie Kriegs. My younger brother and I both go by Kriegs or Kriegsy with our close friends. So that's at sign A-L-I-K-R-I-E-G-S. Love it. And thank you so much for coming on the show today. It's been so much fun talking to you. Thank you, Melissa. I'm so excited to listen to more of these episodes. And I think what you're doing is wonderful. And your whole mission of 
forcing business owners to really, you know, put that spotlight over their finances is something that's near and dear to me based on personal experience. So keep, keep it going. Oh, thank you so much for saying that. I so appreciate that. Thank you. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Think Like a CFO podcast with Melissa Houston, CPA. If you've enjoyed this episode, leave us a review. Your ratings and reviews help more people like you find our podcast. Don't forget to hit subscribe and share this episode with someone you think would love it. Until next time, I'm Melissa Houston. And remember, nobody will ever care about your business as much as you do. So never give your financial power away.